Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on December 3rd, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features an in-depth conversation about the current redistricting maps before lawmakers with Lynn Teague of the League of Women Voters of South Carolina. Attorney General Alan Wilson outlines the state of current legal challenges against federal vaccine mandates. We hear from Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who had a little bit of a busy week on Twitter. We hear from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell about inflation. We got new unemployment data. Data! And look at the latest move by OPEC, everyone's favorite cartel, and what it means for gas prices. We also have a medical section, I know, this is a full podcast, where you hear from DHEC about the latest on Omicron. This podcast is full of news you can use, folks. Also, we want to hear from you. Y'all have been doing really good, real good. It's December now. You know what that means. It's time to call. Got Honda Days in full swing. It's December to remember. And the only way we can do that is if we hear from you at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what you're shopping for this holiday season. That's 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is substantial, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 14,272 total deaths, and currently there are 921,722 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of December 3rd at 4 p.m. Our percent positive is 4.5%. Currently, 421 people are hospitalized with COVID-19, and 122 are in intensive care. Both of those numbers are up more than 6% week over week. Also, 61 patients are on ventilators. That number remains lower than last week. And 50.3% of all eligible South Carolinians have been fully vaccinated. We got the big news that everyone is talking about this week. That's right, redistricting at the State House. What did you think I was going to talk about? Every 10 years, lawmakers in our state, in every state, use new census data to redraw maps for the State House, Senate, and congressional districts. You have to balance out districts to an equal amount based on areas of growth and decline across the state. That's called reapportionment, baby. Now, we've previously talked about the Senate map, which, due to population shifts, eliminated Democratic Senator Dick Carpullian's Richland County District to create a new one down in the growing Charleston area. The House on Thursday approved its map by a vote of 96 to 14. Due to growth in the upstate, the border area with Charleston, and coastal parts of the state, the map merges 10 Midlands and PD-based districts and can force some lawmakers into primaries with each other. The map is projected to give Republicans a supermajority in the chamber, which they're not very far away from, with 81 Republicans and 41 Democrats in the House. Also, a proposed Senate version of the congressional map makes the 6th and 1st congressional districts less competitive. That came out this week. So to recap all of this and for more insight, I spoke with Lynn Teague, who is Vice President of Issues and Action with the nonpartisan League of Women Voters of South Carolina. She's attended many hearings on this matter and given testimony on the maps. I opened by asking her about how the League approaches redistricting. The League of Women Voters is committed to the belief that redistricting should be done uh, prioritizing the interest of voters, not of parties, 
not of incumbents, but voters. And we believe the interests of voters are well served when their communities of interest are preserved, when there's an effort to keep things like uh, counties intact or major municipalities, when minority rights are protected with um, appropriately designed but not packed minority opportunity districts. We believe that when these things are sacrificed (laughs) to the interest of parties or incumbents, it's a very unfortunate thing. should not happen. And the League uh, is very concerned always to be thorough in our research and to you know, not just have opinions, but have facts. And in this case, for instance, on the House map with its 124 districts, we, uh, we ran uh, statistics that are used to evaluate such things, both very simple ones and very complex ones. And the simple ones told us, for example, that While South Carolina's population distribution causes a lot of districts not to be competitive in November, there are many that can be and should be if you follow the communities of interest. And what the House is doing violates that rather badly. Almost a half a million South Carolinians uh, in their map will have less say than they should in November about who's going to represent them. When we ran Uh, what's called a Monte Carlo Markov chain analysis, using the term we loosely, me and mainly our statistician friends, Uh, it was found that of 11.8 billion maps that were simulated randomly under appropriate conditions, only 407 were more extreme than what the House passed yesterday, which makes the House map easily identifiable as an extreme gerrymander. So where, where the league is, is we, we realize we're realistic. We know that South Carolina's demography means that certain things are unavoidable, like having, in fact, a fair number of non-competitive districts. But we don't want to see those things exaggerated. So we're also happy to be able to say that the Senate did a much, much better job with their map. Um, there are, of course, a lot of non-competitive districts, but there are in the league's map of the Senate as well. It's um, unavoidable, given the demography, but they did not take it to extremes for their Senate map, and we found that it rated about where the league map did on a number of um, standard measures of whether something is, in fact, a fair map. So obviously the Senate map being not as controversial like you're saying, and we're going to see the Senate take their map up next week. But I want to kind of stick with the House map that was just approved this week in the State House. Uh, Lynn, can you talk about some of those big changes that the league is worried about um, and, and just what you guys see in that map and uh, how this would affect the makeup of the House possibly in the 2022 elections? Yes. Well, you know, again, there, there are parts of the changes that are inevitable. For example, the I-95 corridor. Uh, lost population in areas or in other areas was simply stable, did not grow. At the same time, we saw immense population growth on the coast uh, and uh, south of Charlotte, up in York County and Lancaster County. And so that shifts the balance of where things fall necessarily, because the whole process of redistricting is about making sure that the districts are in line with that population distribution. But when we look at what the House did, for example, we see uh, one case, For ex- there's a really good example of uh, one uh, House member who's barely squeaked by in the last election, who suddenly finds himself with a much, much improved 
uh, outlook for his party in his district. And when you change something like that, it has ripple effects that go out from it. You can't just change one district in a redistricting map. You have to change, because it's equal population, you have to change moving out from that. And so we see all sorts of things sort of triggered by each change that's made. We we believe that it's certainly true that this map is very non-competitive and it is loaded towards the interest of the majority party. However, uh, it is a bipartisan process. I've, I've been saying for three years now, there are very few things at the state house as bipartisan as redistricting because uh, very often they take care of each other <laughs> and uh, make little trade-offs that are convenient for, for both sides. And so we saw a lot of uh, Democrats voting for a map yesterday that really favors the other party. The league is nonpartisan. You know, we're not here for which party wins, but we are here for voters being able to make their voices heard. And so with a map like this, if it stands and moves, you know, it's approved today, signed by the governor, all that good stuff, then we're going to have to have an education program for voters. Our interview ran a bit long, as discussions of complex issues typically do, so we'll bring you part two of our discussion, which looks more at the newly proposed congressional map, potential legal action, and what the future of the Statehouse will look like in our next episode. That's a tease, baby. Now for the real big story this week, vaccine mandates. What do you guys think I'm trying to get to here? I'm talking about real news. We've been giving you updates as they happen when it comes to the federal vaccine mandate for federal contractors, employers with more than 100 employees, and healthcare workers whose employers receive reimbursement from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, also known as CMS. Like I said, a lot of filings have taken place across the country in different judicial circuits that South Carolina has been a part of. State Attorney General Alan Wilson gave an update to the media this week about where these challenges stand ahead of these mandate deadlines. Take a listen. To date, the OSHA mandate and the CMS healthcare worker mandate are not in effect. In other words, private businesses and healthcare providers cannot, are, are not being required by the federal government, and that's important, that's a distinction, are not being required by the federal government or being compelled by them to force their employees to get a vaccination. Um, that is temporary. We still have to litigate the merits of those cases, and those cases are currently going to be uh, heard in the Fifth Circuit as it relates to the mandate that was stayed last night in Louisiana. That will be appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. The OSHA mandate, which was stayed a few weeks ago at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, is being consolidated with the OSHA mandate cases that were brought in all of the other judicial circuits in the country. And we will be uh, going to the Sixth Circuit where all of the OSHA uh, mandate cases were going to be held. So we still have to litigate the merits of those cases, but until those merits have been um, heard by the court and the court has made its final decision, uh, those, those rules, those mandates on private employers and health care providers are, are at this time not in effect. Okay, so those CMS and big employer mandates are not in effect and will be litigated further in the new year, with Wilson and others pushing for a permanent injunction. The mandate for federal contractors to be vaccinated by January 4th has been blocked in Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio, and Wilson has enjoined Georgia in their push to block it, with a hearing scheduled for Friday, December 3rd. Wilson, who is vaccinated, calls these measures a legal use of power, 
whereas the Biden administration wants these public health measures to protect more people and help get things back to normal faster. Here's Wilson. I'm against the federal government unlawfully, unlawfully and in violation of our Constitution, basically requiring individuals to get mandates and doing it through the compulsion of federal agencies. When you look back at the foundation of our country and the Constitution was written, it was written so that in the federal Constitution, the Congress and the federal government were given specific enumerated powers. Any powers not given to the federal government or to the Congress that are not listed in the Constitution are reserved to the states. And that is what we call our police power. Yes, states under their police power, under the Tenth Amendment authority, have in the past, and this has been adjudicated over 100 years ago, have, have uh, imposed vaccination mandates at the state level under state police power. And those were after those vaccines had been adequately studied and they were basically, you know, they were, there was a foundation for implementing them. The federal government does not have the unilateral authority to mandate vaccinations on American citizens. And one of the reasons I am so vehemently opposed to it is that I don't want to see this administration or any administration of either party radically change the relationship of the role of the federal government with that of its citizens. House Speaker Jay Lucas was standing next to Wilson during that press conference. The visibility may also have helped Lucas save some face later in the week, since during the special session, a faction of right-wing Republican activists protested the fact that the House didn't take up bills dealing with vaccine mandates, which is a bit moot considering the court challenges right now and the legislation is still active. So Lucas made the focus of the limited special session just passing the new redistricting map, and lawmakers return in a month. And really quick, some other news that happened this week. We have a quick congressional decorum update for you under the hashtag things that would land you in HR and probably fired unless you're a member of Congress. Yes, some DC drama that I tend to spare you from because, well, it's not an issue or policy debate that really matters to you. But you've maybe heard about 1st Congressional District Representative Nancy Mace getting into a Twitter fight with Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene a.k.a. MTG. Ooh. Here's here's how it goes. On Monday, Mace went on CNN to denounce Colorado Republican Congresswoman Lauren Bobart's false and Islamophobic story about Minnesota Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar and to lower the temperature. But on Tuesday, things only heated up on Twitter. <gasps> That's because MTG did not like what Nancy had to say about her gal pal Lauren, so MTG called Nancy the trash of the Republican conference, said she was pro-abort because Mace, who was sexually assaulted at 16, supports abortion exceptions for rape and incest, but is anti-abortion. Doesn't matter because MTG said to, quote, back up off Lauren Bobart or just go hang with your real gal pals, the Jihad Squad, quote. Wow. Oh, no, she didn't. Mace then retweeted with the emojis of a bat, poop, and a clown. It then called MTG a racist and bigot. Mm-hmm. Again, HR. Both lawmakers were summoned to the principal's office, that's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who told them both to cool it. They did not cool it. MTG reportedly stormed out and called former President Donald Trump. She tweeted that she told Trump about Mace, who worked on his 2016 campaign in the state, but Mace also derided him for January 6th. Nevertheless, MTG said she loves Trump. He's our leader, quote. 
and they're going to run a primary challenger against Mace. Well, there are already a few, but always room for more. Meanwhile, Mace said she had a great conversation with McCarthy, and when asked about the primary challenge, she told reporters, quote, and let's get the bleep ready, quote, all I can say about Marjorie Taylor Greene is bless her f***ing heart, quote. These aren't my words, people. This is Twitter. I'm not a congressperson. I'm not paid to say these things. Now, unlike when Nikki Haley did that to Trump in 2016 and still got a job in the cabinet, Mace said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, that's kind of inferred when you say, bless your heart to someone. We'll talk about this in the wind down. Now, to tie it all together on Wednesday, Mace's chief of staff, Mara Maelstrom, resigned. Something that Mace said has been in the works for some time. This comes after an exodus this summer, according to the Hill newspaper, when four of the eight May staffers who worked on Capitol Hill left the office during a tumultuous six-week stretch between July 1st and August 15th. Daniel Hanlon, currently Mesa's deputy chief of staff and legislative director, will be promoted to chief of staff January 1st. Whew. All right. Speaking of the former governor and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley received the Nathan Hale Patriot Award from the Citadel Republican Society on Thursday night. It's a big stop for big names in the party, like former Trump advisor Steve Bannon. Trump, before he was president, and Senator Tim Scott have all received the award, which is a Revolutionary War replica musket. Now, these were Haley's first public remarks in the state since coming back from the UN, though she has made plenty of appearances around the country, including in early voting states. She even landed a coveted one-on-one with the former president last week in Mar-a-Lago after months of trying, this per Politico playbook. Seems like they have put their differences aside, specifically her criticism of the January 6th Capitol siege. And on the way out, State Representative Jay Jordan, a Florence Republican, announced Tuesday that he is running for the District 31 seat previously held by the late Senator Hugh Leatherman for the past 41 years. Jordan, who's the Ethics Committee Chairman and oversaw the Redistricting Ad Hoc Committee, has been in office since 2015 and has received the endorsements of several prominent backers in the Florence area. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen were before House and Senate committees this week giving updates on the economy and COVID. Questioning by senators focused on inflation, supply chain issues, and how much big spending bills such as the recently passed trillion-dollar infrastructure bill and House-approved Build Back Better plan, which will combat climate change and improve the social safety net, could affect inflation and debt. Of course, the Omicron variant will now play a major factor in the labor market recovery as well as inflation which is becoming less transitory and also could affect the supply chain, just like how Delta affected things this summer. Here's Chairman Powell. Pandemic-related supply and demand imbalances have contributed to notable price increases in some areas. Supply chain problems have made it difficult for producers to meet strong demand, particularly for goods. Increases in energy prices and rents are also pushing inflation upward. As a result, overall inflation is running well above our 2% longer-run goal, with the PCE price index up 5% over the 12 months ending in October. Most forecasters, including at the Fed, continue to expect that inflation will move down significantly over the next year 
as supply and demand imbalances abate. It is difficult to predict the persistence and effects of supply constraints, but it now appears that factors pushing inflation upward will linger well into next year. In addition, with the rapid improvement in the labor market, slack is diminishing and wages are rising at a brisk pace. We understand that high inflation imposes significant burdens, especially on those less able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We are committed to our price stability goal. We will use our tools both to support the economy and a strong labor market and to prevent higher inflation from becoming entrenched. The recent rise in COVID-19 cases and the emergence of the Omicron variant pose downside risks to the employment and economic activity and increased uncertainty for inflation. So GDP is looking good, labor market improving, unemployment dropping, check, check, check. Still, labor force participation is a little stubborn. Supply chain issues are affecting prices due to demand. And like you heard Powell say, Omicron presents downside risks to all this economic activity. So like we've seen before, a lot is riding on preventing the spread of COVID besides your own health and well-being. But the risk of higher costs and thus inflation could be a bit more than transitory, as was originally anticipated. Here's Powell saying it's time to retire that word, transitory. The test that we've articulated, I think, clearly has been met now. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Inflation has run well above 2% for long enough that uh, if you look back a few years, inflation averages 2%. So I think, I think we can say that that, that is taken. It was not the case going into this episode. It had been many years since we had inflation at 2%. Um, so I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. To, to many, it carries a time, a sense of, uh, of short-lived we, we tend to, 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 to ha- use it to mean that it, that it won't leave a permanent mark uh, in, the, in the form of higher inflation. I think it's, it's probably a good time to retire that, that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. That inflation is expected to start tapering in the middle of next year, all mainly contingent upon supply chain issues being resolved. Transitory. Let's transition to some more data. It's hard to compile data. The unemployment rate dropped to 4.2% in November from 4.6% in October. However, hiring slowed down month over month, with only 210,000 jobs being added in November, compared to 546,000 in October. But other Department of Labor indicators were encouraging, including that 1.1 million more people were employed in November than in October, helping push the labor force participation rate to 61.8%, which is the highest level since March 2020. On the way out, we're going to talk about pain at the pump. (laughs) Reuters reports that OPEC and its oil-producing allies agreed on Thursday to stick to their existing policy of monthly oil output increases, despite fears that a U.S. release from crude reserves and the new Omicron variant would lead to a fresh oil price dip. The United States has repeatedly pushed OPEC Plus to accelerate output hikes as U.S. gasoline prices soared and President Joe Biden's approval ratings slid. Faced with rebuttals, Washington said last week it and other consumers would release reserves. We talked about that in the last podcast, if you remember... Now, fearing another supply glut, sources said the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, Russia, and its allies, OPEC+, considered a range of options in talks on Thursday, including pausing their January hike of 400,000 barrels per day, or increasing output by less than the monthly plan. So that announcement of the Omicron variant has held prices around $70 a barrel for the first time since early September, and far below its high of $85 in late October. 
The average cost for a gallon of regular gas in South Carolina is $3.06. That's 31 cents below the national average. We have a quick Omicron section for you folks. Since we last spoke, Omicron has arrived in the country from several travelers. Dr. Anthony Fauci said there are around 50 mutations of Omicron, which makes it far different from other variants like Delta. And again, this is not Delta. This is something different Fauci said this week. Remember, this was first detected in Botswana on November 11th, and researchers in South Africa told the world about it a week ago. It's now been detected in more than 24 countries. Dr. Brandon Traxler, Director of Public Health in South Carolina, warned this week that cases are rising in the state and folks need to be vigilant due to the likelihood of surges like we've seen in the past. Though Traxler says thanks to the vaccine, it's very unlikely that we'll see a repeat of our worst day, which was January 6th when we had 7,686 cases. But keeping with the top news of the week, Traxler gave an update on DHEC's response to Omicron. Recently detected Omicron variant has been the focus of international attention. Uh, and I understand that it was just identified on the news release, just went out um, nationally that it was identified in the United States. We at DHEC issued an update on the Omicron variant earlier this week. No cases of it have been identified or detected in South Carolina. At this time, we do know very little about this newest variant and we continue to closely monitor the new information from both the CDC and the World Health Organization about what the virus is doing in South Africa and the other countries where Omicron is spreading. Currently, we don't have confirmed data about the transmissibility, the clinical presentation, disease severity, um, risk of infection, vaccine or treatment effectiveness, or much else about Omicron. However, regardless of Omicron or Delta or any other variant, the actions you can take to protect yourself and to protect others around you remains the same. Vaccinations, masks, testing, and physical distancing. And just so you know, the DHEC Public Lab on average sequences 138 specimens per week. Private labs also do sequencing and report to the state. As for case trends... Well, Traxler said officials start seeing case increases 10 days after the holidays. So if you're concerned about Thanksgiving or have been feeling sick, best to get tested, folks. Also, indoor mask wearing is still recommended in indoor settings, regardless of vaccination status, Traxler said. And on Monday, the CDC recommended that people 18 and older get boosted if they are six months out from their initial Pfizer or Moderna series or two months after their initial J&J vaccine. Boost it up, folks. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. Tell us how the holidays are going, what car you're buying this month. Uh, <laughs> everyone's required to buy a car this year. Actually, Every no, month. I, actually, I bought a Volkswagen. I think I told you this last December to remember uh, in 2016, 2017. It's a 2017 model bought in 2016 because I got T-boned. So I actually ended up buying a Volkswagen 
the day after Christmas, 20, the sign uh, and drive event, right? Yeah, yeah it was completely yeah, unintentional. But I, I'm one of those. I'm one of those people. Yeah, I guess I am. So uh, I, 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 I mean, as, as long as you're not one of those people in, I didn't intentionally. The, do it. There was no the, com, the commercials <laughs> who who surprises <gasps> their significant other with a car, which yeah. is insanity. You yeah. know, I would I, I would yeah. be so mad. I know. I'm like, it better have everything because I want. You know, you want specifics. You know, you want to have your own car. You want to feel it out. It's like buying cologne for somebody. Yeah, but I also don't want like an at minimum like thirty thousand dollar expenditure behind my back. Yeah, like (laughs) that too. (laughs) I I think when you're in the one percent, it's like totally cool. (laughs) They're just willy nilly buying cars. Anyway, that's not what we're here. If you don't want, I'll take it back. No, we're not. That's not what we're here to keep it. Oh no, I'll I'll keep keep it. it. Hey, maybe mm-hmm. maybe there's a funny story out there. Someone's experienced a a major Christmas holiday purchase that uh, <laughs> they ended up keeping, but it was a little a little touch and go in the beginning. Yeah, let us know. Eight oh three five six zero. Good job. Yep, that was good. <laughs> did you get that? Uh, go ahead. Ask me the question. Ask me the question, Gavin. Was ask there? Uh, did we? Did we? Did, did we get a? Yeah. Did Santa check his list? We got one. It's pretty good too. Okay. I liked it. I had you listen to it beforehand so we could be ready for this one. It's that that's how good it is. Yeah. It's it's another version of of our listeners just doing our job for us. Thank you. Which is what we like. We like that the best. So anyway, uh, that's enough preamble. Let's get to it. Hey Gavin and AT, this is Kenny in the update. I am calling because of AT's recent experience with pickled eggs. Um, I am not here to defend pickled eggs. I would never. Um, but I am here because during that segment, AT did a sort of sudden Southern impersonation where you said something that I've heard my entire life but did not realize was like a Southern thing until I was a full-blown adult. Um, I think my could is just one of like the most perfect sort of, I guess, phrases um, that exist. And I thought we were all in that together. I did not realize that that is considered Southern until – a guy that I dated in my early 20s who was from South Florida would just get so mad at me. Um, he, he would correct me and say that that was bad, poor grammar, and um, I'm an English major. I should know better and all this stuff. Um, and basically, I still say my kid, and I broke up with him a long time ago, so that's how that went. Uh, but I would just like to ask my fellow leaders if it's possible, if you could call in and leave examples of other you know, regional or local isms or expressions or turns of phrases that always stick out to you or that you really like. I know that we have leaders from all over the world or that live all over the world, so this does not need to be, you know, specific to the South or Southern regions. Um, I think we could get a lot of variety, and it would just absolutely make my Honda days. So other than that, uh, AT and Gavin, I really appreciate everything you do. I've been listening since, I think, 2018. I used to travel 28 days out of the month for work, and the lead was the best way for me to keep in touch with everything that was going on in South Carolina. Uh, don't do that anymore. I'm one of those people that left the workforce during the beginning of uh, the pandemic, well, August 2020. Um so that I could return to college, and I'm a full-time student now. So I I still listen to you guys every day because even being here, I feel like it's the best way to stay in touch with everything that's going on in South Carolina. I really appreciate you guys and hope you have a good season. Bye. Okay, so I think that was Kenny 
I don't want to have another Eunice Vanessa situation, but um, <laughs> we might could, right? So <laughs> we might could have a situation. Have Who knows? Uh, but love that uh, Kenny is a 2018, basically an OG listener right there because that's yeah, when we started. That, that's that's a day that. one homie right there. We totally support that. We also support that breakup that she had with that that man who was trying was to tell her s- how to talk. I, bless his heart. I was gonna absolute gatekeeper right there. I was gonna say <laughs> that uh, she, I, the story that she told there was just one of upgrading your yeah. life. You know one. One, obviously, mm-hmm. you're upgrading your man. No yep. one should tell you what you can or cannot say. Hell yeah. And then, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Drop the zero. Get with the First Amendment, baby. And then, on top of that, she upgraded her job. She's no longer traveling 28 days a year, mm-hmm. you know? And number three, she's obviously listening to the best podcast in the A lot in of the good. A lot, so, yeah, lot of good, good. A lot of good. And she gave us a little assignment, everyone. Did you hear the assignment? We all yeah, want to hear your the assignment. Southern-isms. And I think, I, I mean, we didn't even plan it, and it works perfectly with, with the shade Nancy Mace's Oh, God. Well, yeah, again, like we throwing, said, she, right? she said the, the quiet part out loud. Yeah, the effing <laughs> part, yeah. Because that's kind of inferred when you say, bless your heart, if you didn't <laughs> but, know that. So, I since since I got this voicemail, I've been asking people around the radio studios mm. about um, what they think some of their favorite Southernisms are, and mm-hmm. so I'll get this kicked off. And so if I if if we miss any here, I want people to call in and and set the record straight. Yeah, I okay? can't wait to hear some of these. So I, I, when I was saying uh, might could might should, I was not being derogatory. I truly do love that turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously like saying Bo instead of dude. That's a very Southern thing. Hey, Bo, what's up, man? Or like, golly hell, Bo. Mm-hmm. I love that. With the accent, um, too. Endearing. I always say I always say it with the accent. Um, there's obviously Bless Your Heart. Uh, but Bradley Fuller, uh, the, the notorious aforementioned Bradley Fuller, mm. he says that's overdone and is on the way out. What is? Bo? Bless Your Heart. Bless, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's so overdone. He thinks it's a little overdone. I think, I mean, I think we really peaked when Nikki Haley said Bless His Heart. To Donald Trump in 2016, that and was peak. Bless I mean, your heart. you really can't, you can't do it again. And you know, we saw Nancy Mace try, but you, you know, you start using swear words, and now that ain't very southern, very nice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, uh, I, Caitlin, she absorbs it. My wife, she absorbs this stuff mm. all, like mm-hmm. like a sponge. And so now, even though she grew up and and was very Jersey, had a thick accent, mm-hmm. instead of saying uh, "put something away," mm-hmm. she says "put it up." She puts it up. Put it up, put it up, which I can't, I can't get down with. Yeah. Um, I, what I, well, another thing that I can do is I say, uh, what are y'all fixing to do? What okay, are you fixing, fixing to, to do? Yeah, okay. That's very Southern. Um, so and, I, and then, yeah, go ahead. I got one more. Okay, here. one I more, got one, more. one. Sean, Sean, uh, our, our boss over in radio, he says uh, in Florida, he's heard people okay, I love say this. Uh, Different two things. He says, uh, Make a picture. Let's okay. make a picture. Okay. And then make yourself a water instead of get yourself some water. So uh, <laughs> I love this transition because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in some Louisiana to this because I spent oh, yeah. a year working hit in me, Louisiana hit me, hit me. living in Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. When I lived down there, I really came to cherish where you at. Where you at? You don't say what you don't say what are you doing? You don't say what's up, you just say where you at. Yeah. And when I first started saying that to my family back in what was that 2015, 2016, they're like uh, behind the preposition, I'm like, when do we become grammar Nazis? Like, come on, where are you at? And they're like, I made my old, like, I went back up to Maryland, and my brother Nick still can't get over y'all. I mean, we used to make fun of my Virginia cousins for saying y'all, and now I just, you know, it's just easier because my dad was saying it. He's like, what are you saying? Y'all well, is your dad the easiest lives thing. In South Carolina, I know, now, right? And it's, it's the he, easiest thing to that's say. That's a free patch, and it's, patch. it's spreading, and more people are saying y'all, especially when those New York, the New Yorkers come down here. 
Go on King it's, Street. It's very inclusive. It's very inclusive. It's hard for me because in Jersey we do say you guys, you guys. about yeah. everything, and it's it's um, it's not trying to to say it is a bunch of guys or men or anything like that. It's just yeah. literally. That's what everyone says. And my mother even got me like a Southern grammar chart, which is now hanging in my bathroom. It says like one or two, it's y'all. Like three or more, it's all Mm -hmm. (laughs) y'all. But what I was going with was Sean, who was saying about, you know, making things. Another thing down in Louisiana was that they would go and make groceries. I'm I'm, I'm making groceries. What are you doing? With their buggy, of course. You know, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like buggy. It's a cart. It's a hard cart. I can't do buggy either. Hard cart for me. So there are some things that are... They're all well and good, but I, I go to the grocery store with my cart. <laughs> so, I mean, then there's like tennis shoes versus sneakers. Oh, you got to, I get, we got to get Caitlin on here to go, go off. <laughs> I've never seen my wife more heated than when she's like, these are not tennis shoes. I do not play tennis in these. Oh God. <laughs> I just say riding shoes and just call it even. Yeah. And sneakers, then there's, sneakers. And then there's, um, Sneakers just sound so dorky. Oh, I got my sneakers on. Like, cool, dude. I have my it's, shoes on. I got my running the, shoes on because I'm clearly the running. The Nike app is called the sneakers app. It's not bad. Sneakerhead. I'm a sneakerhead. I hate that. I'm yeah. a tennis shoe head. <laughs> I'm a sneakerhead. I um, love to sneak. And then, of course, you know, the, the ubiquity of Coke, you know, just pop. Gonna have a Coke. Pop is Midwest. That's, pop I had to deal with Midwest. that when I was in Ohio. I've, I've, I've gotten a lot of local vernacular. That's why I speak the way I do. <laughs> it's a wreck. It's a wreck. You guys should see so, how many edits I have to do on this. Oh, well, you guys! Would, oh my God! <laughs> You're not going to believe the number of edits on here. Okay. But give us a call. Tell us some of your favorite Southernisms and uh, phrases. Any oldism. Millennialism. Millennialisms. Any millenni- Any isms. Yo, that's on fleek. No cap. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I mean, that do they even? I don't know. <laughs> Let us know on the TikTok, which we don't have. Or you can leave us an old-fashioned voicemail at 803-563-7169 or a iTunes review that's on the any web-enabled device. You can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. All oh, y'all. Um, okay, let's go ahead. Hello and welcome. <laughs> you know what? Hello and welcome. I'm doing it. 